You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, hey, uh, thanks for being here uh, this morning. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And uh, last week, we began our sermon series in the book of Jonah. And we're turning to the book of Jonah because we want to to be intentional, more intentional in, in the steps that we take to join God in his mission here in the city and in the world beyond. We want to be intentional. And to me, Jonah is a hope-filled book for ordinary people like me and like you when it comes to joining God's mission, because in it, we don't read the story of, uh, of, of a missionary who takes the world by storm. <laughs> Rather, we find someone much more realistic, much more flawed, someone more like us. As I put it last week, When it comes to joining God's mission in the world, you do not have big shoes to fill. You simply need to put on your own and walk with God. And so we pick up the story where we left off. God has asked Jonah to go to the wicked city of Nineveh to preach to the people there. But Jonah runs the opposite direction. He does what's wicked. He runs the complete opposite direction and boards a ship bound for the city of Tarshish. And so turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, and I'm going to go back a little bit in the story from from where I ended last week. I'm going to start in verse 4 and read all the way to verse 16. So Jonah 1, 4 to 16. Here we find Jonah on the boat, along with a crew of other sailors headed for Tarshish. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher to make... um, Sorry, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. 
Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, once again, I don't presume to know what you want to say to the individual hearts in this room because we all come from different places. But Jesus, I do presume to know that you have the words of life. And so, we have ears to hear, Jesus. So speak, for your church is listening. Lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to focus your attention on what the sailors saw in Jonah. That's really where I want to get to this morning. To help you see what the sailors saw in Jonah. But before we get there, we have to wrap our head around what is going on in this passage. And, and, and here's my confession this morning. As I read the text to you this morning, I'm like, man, there's a lot in here that I don't get to. And so maybe that can be the focus of your reflection. Everything that I didn't say throughout this week, you can go back to the text and see what's there. But I want to focus your attention on what the sailors saw in Jonah. But first, the context. It begins in verse 4. The text says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that threatened to break it up. Our passage begins with a storm. One that we're told is of God's making. It's sent by the Lord. Now, if you remember last week, we learned that one of, one of the reasons Jonah is running from God is because he doesn't like the God that he is confronted with, a God who would ask him to risk his life in order to preach to his enemies, a God who would show mercy to his enemies even. And I'm guessing that in God sending a storm, it didn't help much in that regard. It didn't make Jonah like God anymore, I don't think, it didn't help with God's image in Jonah's mind, so to speak. You see, at this point in the story, God poses more of a threat to Jonah's life than anything else. God sends a terrible storm to catch up with the runaway prophet. Church, God doesn't always act the way we think he should. Sometimes God sends a storm. Sometimes God can be a threat to our comfort, our security. Sometimes God acts in a way that brings us to the end of ourselves, and we don't like it. That's what he was doing with Jonah, and at times, that's what he does with us. Sometimes God sends a storm. In Jonah's case, the storm was connected to his sin, right? Jonah was running from God. At times, the storms that we endure in life are because of our sin or because of the sin of someone else against us. But sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they're just storms. Storms that God sends to threaten our comfort and security. Storms intended to bring us to the end of ourselves. 
I wonder if you've ever experienced something like that in your life. Maybe you're in the midst of one right now. You see, one of the frustrating things for me when I read the book of Jonah, one of the frustrating things is the book of Jonah paints a picture of a God who refuses to be put in a box, refuses to be put in the box that I want to put God in. It paints a picture of a God who won't be brushed aside and ignored, a God who cares more about obedience than security and comfort. One who puts Jonah in harm's way in order to get his way. Quite frankly, we don't like that kind of God. We don't like it because that kind of God can't be used for our own advantage. That kind of God reminds us how small we are, how limited we are, how finite our time on earth really is. A God like that reminds us that no matter how hard we try, we are not in control of what happens in our life. It doesn't matter how big our bank account is. It doesn't matter how successful our work is. It doesn't matter how, how even happy our family is. We're not in control of our life. In short, the book of Jonah paints the picture of a God who does whatever he pleases. But here's the thing. What pleases God the most is to bring finite human beings into relationship with himself, the infinite God. God does what he pleases to bring us into the pleasure of eternal life with him. And sometimes a storm is just what we need to come to the end of ourselves and to see our need for God. Like some people have said, your storm is your story. Your storm is actually God's story of rescue in your life. And so God sends a storm to rescue Jonah. But the sailors are caught up in it as well. The sailors are in the midst of the storm. Verse 5. It says, All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, the text doesn't tell us much about these sailors, other than the fact that, that, that they worshipped different gods. The sailors were, were probably a mix of ethnically diverse merchants and crew from various places across the Mediterranean. And we're told that because of the storm... They were terrified. There's this saying, right, that there are no atheists in foxholes. And faced with their own impending death, these sailors do what everyone else would do. They cry out to a higher power for help, for rescue. And now, as we read the book of Jonah with an eye for God's mission, we should note that these sailors don't yet know the one true God. But in that moment, even in that terrible moment, they're getting a glimpse of who he is. And it strikes me that the God that we see in Jonah isn't seeker-sensitive. Again, God can't be put into a box. 
But what they do see, what they do come to see, is that their own gods, they aren't able to calm the raging seas. And so the sailors, they devise a plan to figure out who is responsible for this storm, right? They've been throwing things into the sea, uh, calling out to their gods uh, to see if their gods are responsible to calm it. Nothing happens, and so they devise a plan to figure out whose god is responsible. Who is responsible? Look at verse 7 and 8. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? Now, I I want you to see what is happening in the text. So the sailors, they're asking the question, Who's responsible for this trouble? And then they turn to casting lots to find an answer. It's like pulling the the, the shortest straw uh, as a way to find who is responsible. Kind of strange. But when the lot falls to Jonah, we might think that their question was answered, right? They, They ask, who is responsible for this? Jonah gets the shortest straw, and so they turn to him, uh, and they, you might think that they would assume that he is the one responsible, but that doesn't seem to be the way the text goes, right? Because they ask him the question again. When Jonah is identified, they ask him the same question, who is responsible? You see, the sailors didn't wonder which person caused the storm. The sailors wondered which God. They knew that people had no power to stir up the waves, but they assumed the gods did. So when the lot falls to Jonah, they ask him the question about the God he represents. You know, it's interesting. When you look through the whole book of Jonah, we notice that it's it's the so-called pagans. (laughs) Don't like that word, but it's the so-called people who who don't know the living god who actually turn out to show that they probably know more about the living god than the person who should we see it in the sailors we see it in the captain we see it in nineveh it's ironic but they knew that people didn't have the power to stir up the waves they assumed the god that the, the, the gods did so when the lot falls to jonah they ask him questions about the god he represents and we see it in the four questions that they ask that, come, uh, that, that follow. They ask Jonah, what kind of work do you do? And, and really what that means is they're asking, what is your mission? What has this God sent you to do? Then they ask, where do you come from? And what's implied here is, have you come from heaven? <laughs> like, have you, have you been sent from the gods themselves? What is your country? From what people are you? Because a region and a people would reveal something about the God a person represented that they bowed down to. I want you to see that that all of these questions, they weren't asked to get to know Jonah better. They were asked to get to know the God he represents, the one who sent the storm. Now, here's the point. This is the point of all this. Even though Jonah is running from God, In the eyes of the sailors, he is God's representative. Running or not, Jonah is Yahweh's person in the boat. The watching sailors looked to him for information about God. And church, 
This is how God's mission works in the world. Your life, your life, it's the vessel God uses to reveal himself to the people around you. Your words and your actions, they communicate something about the God that you follow, that we follow together. That can be a sobering thought, can't it? Right, Because after all, we're a little bit like Jonah. We're a lot like Jonah. We run from God. We, we fail. We hide. We miss the point. But like it or not, there is a world beyond your front door that sees your life, the way you live it, as a reflection of the God that you follow. You're God's person in the boat. You're God's person in your neighborhood. You're God's person in your school, on your sports team, in, in your workplace. Church, joining God's mission isn't something that we sign up for. We don't sign up to be a missionary. It's something we do by very nature of being God's person in the world. It's like the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. You see, the moment we say yes to Jesus, the moment we receive his grace and his pardon from sin, the moment we are given the status of being his children, from that moment on, we are Christ's ambassadors. We represent him to the watching world. And the question is, what does your life say about God to the people around you? Years ago when I was pastoring in, in North Vancouver, the, we had to have the roof replaced uh, on the church building. <laughs> it happens. We've had to do it here too. And so we, we hired a, one of our good people to do the work because he owned a, a roofing company, uh, and, uh, and uh, he was a good person. He, he was someone who loved Jesus, who, who wanted to serve Jesus. He was involved in multiple places in our church. But one day when I came into the church building, uh, I, I came in through the front doors and they were working on the roof. They didn't see me coming because they were up there. I was down here. I heard this man speaking to one of his employees on the roof. And he was berating his employee for a mistake that he had made, talking down to him, calling him an idiot. You know what? He didn't know the pastor was listening. I don't think he would have spoken that way if he thought I was listening. And I remember thinking, I wonder what that employee thinks about our God right now. Working on a church, working for an ambassador of Christ, being called an idiot. And there's an irony here because I think that if he knew I was listening, he wouldn't have said those things. And he didn't see that someone was listening. <laughs> the very person to whom he'd been called to bear witness to Christ to, his employee was listening. 
And now my roofing friend woke up that morning and he went to work as a roofer. But he forgot that he isn't so much a roofer as he is God's person in the world. We all are. All of our lives, we, we are God's people in the world. And our lives say something about God, no matter what we do for an occupation. Your actions and your words, they, they communicate something about God to the people around you. And so I wonder, what does your life say? What does it say to the people that you work with or, or the people who work for you? What does it say to your classmates or your teammates? What does it say to the people in your family, people in your neighborhood? I have this little phrase that, that I say on a regular basis, uh, and I was, I was sure to say it earlier so I could say that I said it this morning, okay? Uh, <laughs> but I have this phrase that, that I say on a regular basis because I believe it captures our Christian calling into mission. And the phrase is this, that we carry the glory and the story of Jesus to the world. We carry the glory and the story of Jesus to the world. Please tell me, you have heard me say that before, right? Yeah, okay, yes. God's glory is his character. It's who he is. It's what he's like. And his story is the gospel. It's what Jesus has done to restore a world broken by sin. And that's what your life is meant to do. That's your vocation. It's your missional calling. The moment we say yes to Jesus, our calling is to carry the glory and the story of Jesus to the world. We carry his glory, who he is, what he's like in our actions, the way that we, we interact with other people, the way we interact with one another, the glory ultimately that we saw on the cross. And I'm pointing there because there's often a cross there. <laughs> Jesus laid down his life as a ransom for others. It's the glory of God. And we carry the glory in our city, in the way we live and interact with one another. But we also carry the story, the story of the gospel in word, not just deed. It's our Christian calling the moment we say yes to Jesus. We don't so much choose to be missionaries. We are by very nature of being his children. And so we see these sailors, right? And their lives are in danger. They're in this full crisis mode as this storm whirls around them. And they look to Jonah for answers about the God who sent the storm. And so this is what I want you to see this morning, church. In the midst of their crisis these sailors, they look to Jonah, God's ambassador, and what do they see? They see three things. First, in the face of their crisis, the sailors see that Jonah is sleeping. He's sleeping. He was below deck, and we're told in verse 5b, he fell into a deep sleep. Now, if you read some of the biblical commentators here, they all have something special to say about Jonah's sleep. The narrator in the story isn't simply telling us that Jonah was asleep. There's more going on here. That most are quick to point out that sleep here is a reference to Jonah's deep despair, a desire that he wants to escape his problems. 
I mean, he's trying to run from God, and, and this storm erupts, and, and he, he probably has a sense that, of what's going on, that God is chasing after him, and he wants to get away from his problems. He's in deep despair. One commentator describes it saying, Jonah was sleeping, the sleep of sorrow, the sleep of sorrow. He's so wrapped up in his own problems, in his own stuff, he goes into the hull of the ship, he curls up, he pulls a pillow over his head to drown out the storm, and he sleeps. The sailors faced the storm together in terror on the deck while Jonah settled down on his own for a nap in the hull. Oh, it's a striking image. It grieves me. But it's what I've done at times in my life. It's sometimes what the watching world sees in in the church. When those around us face a crisis, we have this great opportunity to show them God through our actions, but sometimes we respond like Jonah. And we say, you know what? I've got my own stuff going on right now. So why don't you come back when, when things are a little better for me? I mean, we've all got our own stuff, right? And we, we, We've got our own problems, but we've also got our own kids to raise. That might be a problem for some, but... We've got our stuff. We've got problems to deal with. We've, we've got kids to raise. We've, we've got paychecks to earn. We've, we've, we've got church meetings to attend. And when a need arises for the people around us, sometimes we're too self-absorbed to be of any good. When the watching world looks for help, sometimes the church is caught sleeping in a sea of our own troubles. And it hurts our witness. Second, in the face of the sailors' crisis, they saw that Jonah wasn't just sleeping, that he was actually missing. He wasn't simply wrapped up in his own crisis. He was totally absent from theirs. The text says, but Jonah had gone below deck, (laughs) which begs the question, when a need arrives on your neighbor's doorstep, where are you? When there is work to be done, where, where is the church? Do we show up or are we cloistered away somewhere in the hull of our ship? Now, I know I'm talking in metaphors, which I like to do, but I think you're tracking with me, right? The watching world sees something about our God in the way that we respond to the problems of the world, both big and small. They see something of our God in our compassion toward the problems of our world, toward the complexities of our world. They see something of our God in in our ability to be, or in our willingness to be there, to engage. Now, I don't presume to know much about your your non-Christian friends, (laughs) but I'm guessing that they're a little bit like the captain of the ship on that on that day. Look at verse 6. We're told, the captain went to him, to Jonah, and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Let me paraphrase. The captain is saying, Jonah, get up here on deck with us and do something useful. (laughs) 
Isn't that what the watching world says to the church? Why don't you do something useful? We need to listen. Like I said, in, in Jonah, the, the surprising thing is it's, it's typically the one that you think doesn't get it gets it. And the one who should get it doesn't get it. And here the captain gets it. In fact, this is an aside, totally not part of the sermon, but as an aside, the captain, I find it ironic here, I find it hilarious. The captain is actually speaking the prophet's word to the prophet, right? Because he says, maybe this God will take notice of us and, not, and we will not perish. Was that not the message Jonah was sent to Nineveh with? Tell the people, <laughs> That their wickedness has come before us. He's noticed, but he has, uh, he has made way that you would not perish. <laughs> that the pagan captain becomes the prophet to the prophet who should have got it but didn't. <laughs> Sometimes the watching world has something to teach us, to tell us, even about our own God. Sometimes God's people miss it altogether. In order to carry the glory and the story of Jesus, we need to show up. To show up in the lives of non-Christian people. To show up when things are going poorly and to show up when things need to be celebrated. If the world comes to see Christ in us and through us, then we need to show up, especially in times of need. That's the second thing. Third, in the face of the sailor's crisis, the sailor saw that Jonah was silent. He was silent. It's the captain who pulls Jonah first out of his slumber and then out of his hiding place, and he calls out his inaction. He calls his, uh, Jonah's inaction into question in verse 6. Right? He, he confronts him with this rebuke. But then notice what Jonah does next. Notice his response. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> he doesn't answer the captain's question. He responds with silence. He doesn't say a word. And so the story goes on. Then the crew, they cast lots to get to the bottom of things, and the lot falls to Jonah. But even then, Jonah still doesn't say a word. So then the crew, they pepper him with questions. And it's only at this point that Jonah opens his mouth to speak. Now notice, this is the first time. I've told a lot of story about Jonah. This is the first time in the whole story of Jonah that Jonah actually speaks a word. I mean, think about all that has taken place before this. God has called Jonah. And Jonah runs away. He goes to a port. He hires a ship. They set sail. A storm erupts on the seas. The ship begins to break up. Jonah takes a nap. Then the captain rebukes him. Lots are cast. Questions are asked. And then, finally then, Jonah speaks his first word. Jonah's silence is glaring in the story. In the face of the sailor's crisis, Jonah doesn't speak a word. And silence, it's another example of unfaithful witness to the world that watches. Church, we can show God's character through our actions, through the way we order our lives, through the way that we live, but the world will never know the fullness of God's love 
and redemptive plan unless we speak the gospel with our voice. How can people put their trust in a God who rescues when they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? The Apostle Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to someone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. That we're called to speak, to speak up, not simply against injustice, but yes, of course, speak up against injustice because we need to speak the gospel of Jesus, that there is one way to find salvation, to find hope. There is, there, is, there is only one hope for our world's redemption, and it's Jesus. And so, church, Jonah's story, it reminds us of a few things. It, it reminds us that our lives are God's vehicle for mission in the world. And there are three things that we can do to be a faithful witness to Christ. You can first make room for another person's troubles in your life, right? We don't need to be asleep, caught up in our own, our, our own troubles. We can make room for another person's trouble in our life. It's how we can be a faithful witness. But second, we can show up. We can show up especially when people are in need. And third, we can speak the gospel always in word as much as indeed. We can make room, we can show up, we can speak the gospel. I mean, isn't that precisely what Jesus has done for each of us? In the crisis of our own sin, Jesus didn't sleep, but he took on our troubles upon himself, our transgressions. And in the crisis of our sin, Jesus didn't hide away in the glories of heaven, but showed up in the darkness of our mess to pay the ransom price. And in the crisis of our sin, Jesus is not silent, for he speaks the words, you are forgiven. You're my beloved child. Church, this is the glory that we carry. This is the story. May we carry it so the whole earth might be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, <laughs> you are the Lord of life. You are the Lord of all. You are the lion and the lamb. <laughs> You're the God who, who comes to serve humanity and the God who ca cannot live in a box, can't be put in a box. You're the God who does what he pleases, but we, we want to throw ourselves on you knowing that your greatest pleasure is to see people reconciled to yourself. And that Jesus, is, as we take our places as your children, forgiven of our sins, cleansed of our iniquities, and, and, and our feet set on the path of life again, as we take our place as your church, Jesus, we want our lives to matter for your glory, that more would know your story, 
that they would find themselves on the road of life. So, Lord, I don't presume to know what you want to speak to each individual heart here. But I know you have the words of life. So speak, Holy Spirit, for your church is listening. May we carry your glory and story to the city you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name.